and the pursuit of truth and common sense in an unbelievable world. You're listening to The Right Mind Podcast with your host, Todd Showalter. Hello, everybody. I'm Todd Showalter, and welcome to Right Mind. Today with me is my favorite and the official Right Mind political analyst, Rich Rubino. How's it going, Rich? Good to see you, man. Doing well. Thank you so much for having me on again. Well, hey, like I said, you're one of my favorite guests, and you're, ob- you're obviously the smartest guest. Uh, I Well, no, I have a lot of smart guests. You're smarter <laughs> than the host. How's that sound? Uh, well, we got a lot of stuff heating up uh, on the political front. We've got oh, the, yes. uh, the elections coming up in 24. People are getting into the race as we speak. We've got uh, Ron DeSantis. We've got Kennedy on the Democratic side. Give me your take on where we're at and where do you think, where do you think things are going? Yeah, let us say on the Democratic side that Joe Biden has the advantage, which, for example, Bill Clinton had, Barack Obama had, and Ronald Reagan had, in that there is no major threat to him for the Democratic nomination. Now, obviously, there's Robert Kennedy Jr. and there's Marianne Williamson, but it's hard for me to see a scenario where either of them actually become threats in either the caucuses or the primaries. Now, generally speaking, if you look at it, Lyndon Johnson had, we'll go back, Harry Truman had 1952, he had Estes Keepover challenging him, winning in the New Hampshire primary, Truman then dropped out. Um, Lyndon Johnson, 1968, had Eugene McCarthy almost almost beat him in New Hampshire. Lyndon Johnson then dropped out. Uh, 1976, Ford had Reagan, Ford loses the election. Carter in 1980 had Cliff Finch, Jerry Brown, and Ted Kennedy. He goes on to lose the election. Pappy Cannon challenged George H.W. Bush in 1992, and Bush went on to lose the election. So generally, candidates who don't have primary challengers or major primary challengers, by that I mean somebody who's actually been elected to office, who has a huge constituency within the party, generally do better. Now, on the Republican side, Donald Trump has the advantage that he had last time. Last time around, about 60% of Republican voters voted for somebody in the primary other than Donald Trump. The advantage he had his supporters were so loyal to him that all he needed to do, especially in winner-take-all primaries, is win 36, 37, 38% of the vote. And he certainly has that contemporaneously. He has that today. He has about 40% of the Republican base. They'll be with him until the last dog dies. That's the advantage that he has. Ron DeSantis is certainly in second place, and he seems to have to be second place um, outright right now with about 20% as kind of the anti-Trump, or I guess the alternative to Donald Trump. And then you have a litany of other candidates, either people that have gotten very little media attention so far. They're all trying to get into the first debate in August in Milwaukee. In order to do that, you need 40,000 separate um, contributions and about 1% in the polls. So it's actually kind of a steep climb to get in there. But you have all these other candidates trying to be kind of the alternative to Trump. I think some of them believe that if Ron DeSantis falters, and you do see this as job approval rating, for example, have really nosedived since he's announced his presidential candidacy they all want to be the alternative to Trump. I think Tim Scott has the advantage. He's a senator from South Carolina, and he's one of the few candidates who's respected by both the establishment of the Republican Party and the Trump wing of the Republican Party. He could be a dark horse that potentially um, could unify kind of both bloodlines of the party, and he's least objectionable, I think, to either either of the candidates. Also, Doug Burgum, I would watch the governor of North Dakota People are saying, why is someone the governor of a state with less than 800,000 people running for president of the United States? Well, the story goes back before being governor. He was actually a tech entrepreneur who sold his company to Microsoft, made a billion dollars on it, which means he has the advantage of cold. Phil Graham used to say when he ran for president, his biggest advantage was cold, hard cash. Doug Burnham is going to have cold, hard cash. He's going to have a lot of name recognition pretty soon. And he's obviously going to be all over the airwaves. So he's somebody I would also watch. 
Well, going back to uh, you mentioned Robert Kennedy Jr. on the Democrat side. Yep. Uh, back, you know, in, in the past, I mean, when's the last time in history? I mean, you can remember or you know of that there there seems to be a, some dissent going on in the Democrat Democratic Party. I mean, has there ever been a scenario like this? I mean, I think I think you're going to yep. have a faction of people that that whether they want to admit it or not, and this is my opinion. You know, Joe's not doing a good job. I could see. I mean, it's a nice time if they want to stick with the Democrats and they're not happy with Joe to maybe get behind this guy. Has there been a situation like that in the past that you can recall? Yeah. Oh, it certainly has. I don't see this happening because I think his message in many respects, his message, for example, being against the vaccine mandate, having been against the mask mandate is something that tends to galvanize more conservatives than it does on the Democrat people on the Democratic side. So I don't think it's a traditional Democratic message, but there has been division in the party. And 1980 is a perfect example of that. Uh, Jimmy Carter wins the Democratic nomination in 1976. And after he after he wins New Hampshire, there was a cavalcade, cavalcade of Democrats that wanted somebody else. And he was winning more and more states. He beat George Wallace in Florida, became the de facto Southern candidate. Then California Governor Jerry Brown and uh, Senator, Senator Church from Idaho get in the race and to stop Carter movement. It doesn't work. They win a couple of primaries. Carter wins the nomination. As soon as Carter is in, He's kind of blackballed by the establishment of the Democratic Party because they don't want like the idea of there being basically a Southern Baptist moderate as governor. And when he comes in, he immediately wants to um, try to balance the budget. They wanted more great society programs. So it's always, there was a civil war in the party in 1979. You had Ted Kennedy from Massachusetts actually leading two to one against Jimmy Carter in the polls, two to one. And because of the Iranian hostage crisis and the, what really kind of brought the country together and the rally around the flak effect, Carter was able to get the upper hand and was able to upend Ted Kennedy. But you also had Jerry Brown, the governor of California, getting in the race, Governor Finch of Mississippi getting in the race. There was really a movement in the party for someone other than Jimmy Carter. You don't have that today. Today, what you have, not that, not that Joe Biden is necessarily popular within the Democratic Party. If you look at him last time around, um, part of that, he came in fifth and sixth, respectively, in Iowa and New Hampshire. But South Carolina saved him when J Congressman Clyburn um, supported him. But in the general election, the Democratic Party was unified against the opposition. They were unified against Donald Trump, not for Joe Biden, because Joe Biden was very few Democrats' actual first choice. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren were the base candidates of the party. Joe Biden was not. Joe Biden was a candidate they thought was electable. But by the end of the day, in the general election, Joe Biden won 94 percent of Democratic votes. Donald Trump won 94 percent of Republican votes, which means that no matter who the Republican or the Democratic nominee is, they can be any milquetoast Republican, milquetoast Democrat. They're probably going to win about 94 percent of their own party. Um, and I think that the Democratic Party knows right now that if anyone else gets in the race and the Dem everyone from Gavin Newsom to got to um to Governor Cooper in North Carolina, probably would like to get in the race, but they know that if they get in the race and they challenge Joe Biden, they're going to be blackballed for the rest of their lives because the Democratic Party knows one thing that when they and the Republican Party knows this too. When a prime when there's a major primary challenger against an incumbent president, they weaken the party and they um they they create a chasm within the party between the two different wings of the, of the party. And then that person is blamed for the loss in the general election. No one wants to be blamed for the loss if Joe Biden wins, if Joe Biden were to win the nomination after a, after a very tough race against another Democrat and then lose in the general election, that person will be blamed 
for the rest of their lives, fairly or unfairly, for the reason Joe Biden lost. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. What if, okay, say in their best case scenario or worst case, however you want to look at it, uh, say Joe Biden, I mean, he does go ahead, you know, he moves forward with the nomination. What Do you think he sticks with Kamala Harris as far as vice president? Is that a lock also? Yeah, I think so. I think the fact that when he made his announcement video, that she was in that video was a display that she's absolutely going to be the party's nominee. Now, people say, well, she's unpopular. Why would you choose her as a nominee? Wouldn't it be better to try to put somebody else in the ticket that could potentially galvanize a certain constituency? If you do that, you appear weak. And the reason I say that is Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford, when he became president after Richard Nixon resigned, he selected Nelson Rockefeller, the governor of New York, as his vice as the vice president. In 1976, he dropped him from the ticket. And part of the reason was because there was there was anglings from conservatives that he was too liberal and that they wanted somebody else to be the to be he wanted someone more conservative to be his vice presidential nominee so that Gerald Ford had a challenge from Ronald Reagan in the primary he chose Bob Dole who was more conservative but what happened is he was he appeared weak and he appeared somebody that couldn't make a decision he appeared people say well why'd you choose him in the first place and it backfired on him same thing 1972 George McGovern originally his original choice was Senator Eagleson from Missouri actually and Senator Eagleson, it, it turned out it had gone through electric shock, electroshock therapy for depression. Right. Originally, McGovern said, I'm a hundred thousand, I'm a thousand percent for him. Then he dropped it from the ticket and it landed up hurting him. So Joe Biden knows, same thing with Bush and Quayle. Joe Biden knows he absolutely has to, for good or for ill, keep Kamala Harris on the ticket. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I mean, however, you want to look at it. If going over back to the Republican side now, now we do have a lot of people that are decided to. Uh, get in the mix, so to speak. You got people like, you know, Christie and whatnot. I mean, are there certain people, do you think, that actually get into it knowing that they're not going yeah. to get the nomination, but have an ulterior motive? Uh, you, you got any of those guys that have entered the mix, you think? Yeah. Now I get to play cynic. Okay. There you go. That's what I like. That's what I yes. like. So. Yes, absolutely. There's every race, there are vanity candidates. People, not every, there are, now there are some people that are delusional. That can see a scenario so well you know what i won my race for selectmen in a town of seven thousand people so and i beat an incumbent so therefore i'm going to be able to beat an incumbent the there's always somebody like that that's delusional but there's also people there are people that are really running for name recognition there are people there are different slots there are those who want to get name recognition to potentially have a television show something like that there are those that are running because they don't want to win this time around but it's a dress rehearsal for a future presidential race I look, for example, in 2020 with Peter Bud Pete Buttigieg. When Pete Buttigieg got in the race outside of South Bend, Indiana, virtually nobody had ever heard of him. He was at 0% in the polls. He lands up barely winning the Iowa caucuses. Okay, by the time at the end of that election, Joe Biden selects him as transportation secretary. That probably would not have happened had Pete Buttigieg not gotten into the race. Now, Pete Buttigieg was mayor of South Bend, a city of under 100,000 people. So logical step for him would have been to run for governor of his state, governor of Indiana. The problem is South Bend is more liberal than the state of Indiana, and the chances of Indiana electing a Democratic governor are pretty slim. And he knew that. The only way he would ever get he would ever get name recognition of potentially a presidential run in the future is to go national right away. So instead of running for governor, he goes national and he runs for president. And it works for him because now he has name recognition and he's already being in the conversation as somebody who's a serious candidate for 2028. So you look at it and you say, are there any candidates that potentially are running really for something else? Last time around, Rick Perry ran, for example. Perry had always had already run for president one time before. 
But if essentially he gets the job of energy secretary under Donald Trump. So it might be that they're looking for something else. It also may be that they're looking to do this to try to um, to try to potentially run for a lower office at some point. You know, you run for president and then you've already run for governor, but then you're something you then you want to run for governor later. You've met the benefactors. You've let what you've met a lot of, for lack of a better term, wealthy people. And then you can go back to them and you can say, I now I'm going to run for this office. And you've already made those connections. So that might be part of it. And also, frankly, it might be on some candidates bucket list. Just you want to be able to say you ran for president. And it's a lot of fun. You get to go on national television shows. You get to you know talk about your message. You get to potentially be in debates. And sometimes candidates just do it for that reason. But I think they're probably in every race. There's probably six or seven people that legitimately are running and have a legitimate chance of running, of winning the presidency. And there's a whole litany of other candidates who are just trying to essentially find relevance, are trying to run for a future race, something like that, or potentially are just doing it as a part of their bucket list. Gotcha. Well, let's take a look at the uh, the third parties now. I mean, yes. in the past, we had, uh, you know, people that say, well, I voted for Biden just because I don't like Trump. Yeah. Uh, so now you have that vote. But now you've got people. I think you're going to have those same people that say, well, I'm still not going to vote for Trump. But now also Biden, I'm not too sure about either. I mean, is this yep. a good time for a third party and independent to come in who just for that yep. very reason, you don't like either one of the other guys you vote for him? On, pa- on paper, there's no better time I can think of in the last hundred years for a viable third party. If you look at what the if you look at what the general electorate, they don't want Donald Trump to be the Republican nominee. They don't want Joe Biden to be the Democratic nominee. So people would say, okay, that means that there should be an alternative. The, and and the and you see this scenario many times, and people say, why isn't there an alternative? The vast majority of the country want another person to run. Now, here's what there are a few. There are a few people. There are a few organizations that are trying to do this. There's a group called um, there's a group called Forward started by Andrew Yang, the former Democratic presidential candidate that's trying to that's that's trying to form some sort of a third party for potentially having a candidate in 2024. And there's also the movement of no labels, which is seriously considering some sort of a centrist candidate. The possibility is Joe Manchin doesn't run for reelection. And he's somebody that's flirted with the possibility of running as a centrist. Potentially, you could have a him and maybe a Republican running mate on the ticket. What usually happens in a third party when they're running is the candidate that's hurt the most immediately says, if you vote for that candidate, you're really voting for my opponent. For example, 2000, Al Gore and George W. Bush. Al Gore said when Ralph Nader was running that if you vote for Ralph Nader, who was a candidate to the left of Al Gore, you're really voting for George W. Bush. So what happened toward the end of the campaign, Ralph Nader's support tended to plummet, but he still won, won less than 3% of the vote. And the Gore campaign has blamed him for the losses in New Hampshire and the loss in Florida. So it's called the wasted vote syndrome. Basically, voters who are skeptical of the candidate of their own party tend to go home toward the end of the election because they say, well, that's going to be a wasted vote if I vote for that other person. I have to vote for somebody who's actually going to win. And I'd rather vote for the lesser of two evils than vote for kind of the choice of my heart. There are a lot of people, I think, that the choice of their heart would not be Joe Biden. It may even be Cornell West, who's running as a People's Party's nominee. But they're going to look at the polls. They're going to see Cornell West is under 1%. Oh. You there? Kind of so like, a, uh, there you are. It happens okay. in almost every election. Okay, I've got you. Well, say, you know, in 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 a, a bad scenario for Trump, for example, say, uh, you know, DeSantis does end up winning the nomination and yep. you've got Trump that already, you know, he's got a built in, what, like 30 something percent oh, of yeah. his base. 
Why would I mean? Why wouldn't he just say, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to be an independent now." He's got that vote automatically. Or why would he even mess with all these primaries and everything? Why wouldn't he just come right out and say, "I've got my base. This is going to be my party," uh, and, and not even why would he mess with all this stuff to begin with? The worst nightmare for the Republican Party is that Donald Trump does that. Part of the reason is it is so hard under the electoral college system. You need 270 electoral votes, an outright majority, to win to win the presidency in the electoral college. If there are three people running, three major candidates, and there's DeSantis, say the Republican nominee, and say Joe Biden, the Democratic nominee, that means that Donald Trump would need 270 electoral votes, and he would actually have to win states. He would have to win a lot of states to do that. If he gets to, if he gets, if he gets, if no candidate gets 270 electoral votes, then it essentially goes to Congress, and Congress is probably with the Republicans controlling Congress are going to support the Republican presidential nominee. Although you might have potentially, a, you might you could potentially have a true chasm between many Republicans who are going to vote for Donald Trump in the Electoral College, and because they um, because Donald Trump is more popular with them in their own constituencies. Um, but it would be it would very much it would be, it would be very much divided. The the last precedent for that is 1912, actually. William Howard Taft was the Republican president. Theodore Roosevelt ran against him in the primaries and won the majority of the primaries. But at the time, the conventions really held a lot more sway than respective primaries. So what happened? Theodore Roosevelt says, I'm stripped to the buff and I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. And he runs for president as a candidate of the Progressive Party. He essentially, you had, so you had two Republicans running. And what happens is Woodrow Wilson, the Democrat, is able to win the presidency the first Democrat to win the presidency since Grover Cleveland in 1884 because of the divide in the Republican Party. So that's what Donald Trump, I think, knows. Now, from a pure ego standpoint, there's a possibility Donald Trump could just say, you know, kind of screw all these people, if you will. I'm going to run as an independent and, you know, potentially be a threat. And the thought, and I have heard that he has talked about that in the past about potentially leaving the Republican Party. But that is why the Republican Party establishment may not like Donald Trump. But they need Donald Trump because that's the worst possible nightmare. Donald Trump runs. DeSantis becomes a, DeSantis and Donald Trump, let's say, both run. What potentially could happen, that can benefit Joe Biden because they're essentially splitting the conservative vote. Got you. Well, you mentioned earlier about our you know, our billionaire from uh, North Dakota that put his uh, hat into the ring. You know, nowadays, and it seems I think you're going to see a lot more people that get in the race. I think a lot of it comes down to uh, to money. You know, I think uh, how much oh, yeah. do I have to spend on this campaign. And do you think there's ever going to be a time uh, or is there any way in our system that could possibly change where it would truly if, if, if somebody who wasn't a multi-billionaire or wasn't backed by corporations, do you think there's going to be a time ever in the future where somebody that may be a, you know, a good candidate but doesn't have all the money even has a chance? Or do you really just need to be a, you know, a lucky rich person at this point or just have the backing of a huge corporation? Yeah, it's very hard. You the way you can there have been people who have won on purse string campaigns or people who have essentially there have been people who have run without having the big money at the beginning. And one of those was Jimmy Carter in 1976. And how did he do it? He only he served one term as governor at the time. You could not you could not succeed yourself as governor of Georgia. So he spent the entire year 1975 barnstorming Iowa, barnstorming New Hampshire, literally going into just about every place he could go. Uh, meeting the voters, and then he lands up actually coming in second to undeclared in Iowa. Then he wins New Hampshire, and there's the cavalcade again, as I said before, and he lands up winning the nomination. Um, I think Bill Clinton in 1992 was another example of that. 
Um, Bill Clinton was about one percent in the polls in about in early nineteen in early nineteen ninety one. He was not seen as a serious contender for the nomination. And George H. W. Bush, after Gulf War, had a ninety one percent job approval rating. But Bill Clinton did. But Bill Clinton worked very hard, and he saw he'd actually made a promise when he ran for re-election as governor. He'd only serve. He would serve with his full term. He broke that promise. Did a listening tour of his state toward the end of that campaign. He announces in October of nineteen ninety one that he's going to be a candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination. He gets in the race toward the end and he lands up winning, but he was not somebody who necessarily had the big pockets. At least he certainly was not self-funded, but obviously there are people who are going to give him the money. And in general election, no matter who the candidate is, if they're self-funded or not, there's always going to be these elephantine benefactors going to give money to super PACs, give money to the individual campaign, and they're going to give money that way. But it's extremely hard. If you, I'll say if it's extremely hard, if you do not have the money, unless it's somebody like a Colin Powell who just has this ecumenical name recognition and people generally liked him. And if he were to run in 1996, I think he would have been able to run without money just because he had such name recognition. But if you don't have name recognition and you don't have money, then if you can not get into happen. that debate somehow and somehow, you know, just take off and somehow catch lightning in a bottle, then that's the only way you have to do it. But you do have to get into those debates. If you don't get into those debates and you don't have name recognition, then it's very hard for the it's very hard for anyone to see that person as a serious candidate or even to know they exist. Sure, that makes sense. Well, you you hear about okay, so we've talked about the Democratic Party, we've got the Republican Party. Uh, yeah. You know, one, uh, people are talking a lot about this uniparty situation where you know we do have these two parties, but it's actually one party, the uniparty, where everybody. I mean, a lot of this is smoke and mirrors. Hey, what do you, what is your take on that? Truth, false tin foil hat theory i mean what, what is that all about no there's the set there are two different factions in both parties there's the center right and the center left and they often often do work together and then there's the right the far right and the far left and they actually work together as well sometimes on issues like marijuana legalization on issues of being against the war in ukraine you have the progressive caucus you know aoc and then you have the freedom caucus folks like Lori bobart and marjorie taylor green sometimes actually you get so far left, you become right. And they kind of unify in that respect. But the establishment of both parties, sometimes you start this on the debt deal, for example, Kevin McCarthy and Congressman Jeffries, for example, center left, center right. Um, by, by that, I mean establishment right, Senate, establishment left, sometimes do work together and get legislation done. But the argument that there is really no difference between the two parties, and by the way, the center right and center left are also tend to be the candidates that are most militaristic tend to be the candidates, for example, that supported the Iraq war, supported the war in Afghanistan, certainly support the war in the U.S. funding the war in Ukraine. But when you make the argument, and this goes back when Al Gore was running against George W. Bush in 2000, and folks on the left were saying there's no difference between George W. Bush and Al Gore. They're both basically running to the center, and they're both trying to one-up each other. Ralph Nader was running as the, as the candidate of the Green Party, and the Gore campaign had a bumper sticker, and it said, it's about the Supreme Court. Meaning you might not like Al Gore, but when it comes down to it, the next president is going to nominate justices from the Supreme Court. Do you want that justice to be somebody that's on to, to be somebody that's somebody that's center left or somebody that's center right that can get it that can get approved? And you saw this, for example, Donald Trump won the presidency in 2016. And there were certainly people who were saying there's no difference between the two parties. But Donald Trump appoint nominated two, three conservative, three conservative Supreme Court justices. And what happened? Roe v. Wade gets overturned in the Dobbs decision. And that's the best argument that Democrats can essentially make 
in terms of their not their in terms of their not their their in terms of the argument you hear that there's only infinitesimal you know differences between the two parties. They can say it's about the Supreme Court. On the other side, the right can essentially say the same thing. It's about the Supreme Court. They can say, do you want us to appoint constructionist conservative justices? Or you want somebody in the mold of Sonia Sotomayor sitting on the Supreme Court. So that's one thing that they do, just that they do have their disagreements on. Gotcha. Okay, well, we're down to our last couple of minutes, and I'm going to ask my favorite question that I always ask you, and that's the sleeper question. we got a ways to go, about a year and a oh, half yeah. until the big day. Who do you think, uh, we haven't heard it from yet or seen yet, uh, that you think may sneak in unexpectedly and surprise everyone? Interesting, yeah. As I said earlier, as before mentioned, Doug Burgum is one that I would certainly watch, I think, toward the end of the campaign, specifically if Ron DeSantis implodes and he does not become the alternative to Trump. He's somebody that he's somebody that potentially could unify the right and the left uh, at the right and the center of the party. Tim Scott is another one, um, potentially Nikki Haley, although they don't necessarily see where her base is. Um, I think that potentially you could actually see um, Governor Yunkins of Virginia. He originally said he would not run. Now he's seriously considering running. Obviously, there are people behind him that are saying this could be the time for you to get into the race. Rick Perry. Rick Perry, the former governor of Texas, former energy secretary, has not disclosed, has not fully closed the door on a presidential race. Again, I don't know where his constituency would be. I don't know what the Rick Perry constituency necessarily would be here. Um, Mike Pence, I don't know where his constituency is beyond some evangelicals, but evangelicals would be split between Trump, between Tim Scott, between himself, and maybe a couple of um, other candidates. I would watch uh, Mayor Suarez of, of Miami, who's seriously considering running. If he runs, he's 44 years old. He's somebody that potentially would have support in the Democratic, in more, that would have more moderate support. There is a lane in the Republican Party for a moderate, somewhat establishment Republican. Um, and I would watch Chris Christie if he gets into the debates, just in his debates, because he's very good at, if Chris Christie, if he has, if he has one superpower on earth, it's, he's a very good debater. And if you saw him last time, he took on Marco Rubio and he absolutely annihilated Marco Rubio. He's the person in the debate. I think Donald Trump probably fears the most because Chris Christie, there's one thing Chris Christie has that Donald Trump has with Republican voters when they talk. It's just an aura of authenticity. There's an aura that they're not talking in political speak. They're not trying to be politically correct. So Chris Christie very much could be in the same parlor, the same game, and play the same game as Donald Trump does in that. Gotcha. Well, you know, the best part of the, all those people you mentioned is that Hillary Clinton wasn't in the mix, but I won't go down that road. You know, I think you should run because I think you'd be the perfect candidate, Rich. I mean, I'm too corrupt. No, you're not. That makes, <laughs> and if you were, that would make you perfect. You know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, maybe, maybe I'm not kidding. I don't know. Well, anyway, that's going to No, you are kidding. You are kidding. I'm not I'm no more corrupt than um than most politicians. There you go. I don't know what to do with that, but OK, we'll leave it at that, my friend. Anyway, thanks for joining me. We're going to be seeing a lot more of you uh, as the monks come along. Uh, who knows? Maybe even weeks come along. But I want to thank you again for joining me. We got Rich Rubino, the official right mind political analyst. Thanks for being here, Rich. Thank you so much. Greatly enjoyed it. Glad, glad to be here. Well, I always look forward to it. Thanks again. And thank you for joining me. Whether you've been watching or listening, I'm Todd Showalter, and this is Right Mind. And remember, if you don't have a right mind, you don't have a mind at all. Till next time. Bye-bye. This has been the Right Mind Podcast with Todd Showalter.